This is Chris Faust in Halfcourt Brass, the Austrian ladies head coach, indoor, outdoor, 18 and under 21. This is Laura Unsworth and you're listening to the Halfcourt Press podcast. Hi, I'm Alan Forsyth and you're listening to Halfcourt Press podcast. Welcome to the third series of the Halfcourt Press podcast with Taylor McLeod. In this season, Players in Profile, we talk to athletes who have had an interesting career in their chosen sport. This episode has been brought to you by Right Performance. Looking for a new hockey stick, don't want to pay over the odds for a top of the range stick. After playing hockey for years, we've decided we'd try and do just that. We now have our own stick at a price that we think is competitive and have a range of three 100% carbon sticks. If you want to see more, go to our website at rightperformance.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Half Court Press podcast. Um, today we have down the phone line Sean Hadfield, uh, ex-Scottish international goalkeeper. It's all in there. Hey, Sean. Hi, Joe. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, very, very kind of extraordinary, but yeah, um, take that. Thank you very much. Yeah, I should, I should point out that yeah, ex Scottish International, also ex Waverley Inverness Trinity goalkeeper. It's, uh, That's the one, yeah. Claim the same that. Big up. Big up wit with my, my old team as well. <laughs> big up wit. <laughs> um, dropped the men's team though recently, which is a shame. But, uh, is that right? Yeah, folded the men's setup. It's just a women's setup now. Um, But yeah, I, th- I think I ended up playing in one of the, one of the um, later stages of the uh, of their of their first team, but in that the East s- third division or something. So it's like got to play for Whit ones, but it's no 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 no. no, no, no. Play for Whit ones, and there was only one team left. <laughs> that's a shame, actually. I, I wasn't I wasn't aware of that um, with with Waverley, but that is that is a shame because it was that was a, it was a really good club. Obviously, that was my first. My first men's club that I played for, and um, yeah, good memories at, at Waverley, but that is a shame. Yeah, you left, I think, was it for Carla? And you went downhill from there for us. Oh, went downhill from there. I'm not sure about that, but um, yeah, I think yeah, moved to moved to yeah, Carla, but I mean, that was that was quite early on. I think um, was maybe sixteen or seventeen, um, and. Yeah, just needed to um, start start playing um, at kind of national league, and I think the the training as well. Um, I think at the time the coach Neil Allen, he was putting he was putting together quite a good quite a good um, a te- quite a good team really with a good mix of young internationals. We had you know myself, um, we had Fraser Sands, Duncan Riddle. Sorry, Duncan Riddle. That's, that's not true. David David Patterson. I think Duncan Riddle was on Nelly's radar, but he never never joined us. Um, but yeah, David Patterson was there, um, and then he had the kind of older older lads like um, David Guy, Stevie Glass, um, who were you know really good players. They had that perfect balance, um, and yeah, we did really really well at Cal. We got from obviously Nat Nat two. I think the league's been whole 
completely restructured, hasn't it, in Scotland? I'm not really aware of the new, new structure, but went from that two to that one. Um, and we had an okay, I think we had an okay season in that one first year, and then I think, I think we got relegated after that. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, good, good times at Cala as well, actually. Really good team. Um, and then worked with Nelly, who was, he was a brilliant coach, actually. I really, really enjoyed working with, with uh, Nelly. Yeah, if you, if you want to learn more about the, um, the restructuring of the Scottish, Scottish uh, league structure, you can listen to the Halfway Press podcast, episode one, where we speak to uh, one of the um, uh, um, Scottish hockey officials. There you go. There you uh, go. Yeah. That, was, that was seamless, mate. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> the first interview we ever did, so... Um, <laughs> um, so, how did you start out in sport? How did you start out in hockey? Did you play many different sports growing up, or was it just 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 hockey? Um, so, going right back to uh, my early days, I was I was quite into football. So, yeah, my um, my family was quite a football family. So, like my granddad and uncles and stuff like that, they were massively into football. Obviously, still are. Um, but yeah, football's the kind of main sport in my family, so always going around to my granddad's and having dinner there and stuff we would watch. Super Sunday was always on. Um, and yeah, so played um, through primary school mainly um, at primary school and then had a club that I played for. And then when I went to high school, uh, when I went joined, Birmingham High School just I don't know I, I'm not sure, I can't really remember the reason why I just didn't just didn't enjoy playing football as much in high school I just potentially wasn't very good to be honest um, and then it's actually a funny story how I got to talk to you one of my a few of my mates played and there was this tournament that was coming up it was the, B, the BA games or something I can't remember what, even what that stood for and it, they basically had to get a Wednesday afternoon off off school, and um, my mates turned to me and said, "We don't have a goalkeeper for this tournament, this BA games." And I said, "Well, what, what do you need me to do?" Kind of thing. So I was like, "I, I fancied a, an afternoon off school," and yeah, basically put on the pads, got told to kick the ball if it came towards me and just try and get in the way and um, actually played alright uh, we, won, we won the tournament we won on um, penalty flicks at the end actually um, I'd saved like four penalties out of the five and we won the we won they weren't particularly good penalties but maybe I should have kept that quiet but um, <laughs> yeah so we won, won the tournament and it, it would have just been a small school's tournament, I'm imagining. But anyway, um, after that, just kind of fell in love with hockey, really just... Um, and to be fair, I have to mention, um, Karen and Gary Scott, they were both brilliant um, in terms of getting me into hockey and they kind of opened my eyes and um, helped my helped my mum, really, because my mum never, had never heard of hockey before. She didn't even know what it was. Like I said, we were kind of football through and through in the family so um, we didn't have a clue of clubs or where we would go and buy hockey kit for me obviously playing goals you need 
decent decent kit or you're going to get hurt. So, yeah, um, they, I, can't, I have to say, Khan and Gary were both um, brilliant in, in helping me because they coached, they coached Birmingham High School and they coached the team. Um, and yeah, basically, they helped me um, join uh, Waverley in Vrex Trinity time. Uh, and then obviously, like we said, moved to moved to Cal and then moved moved on to Grange, which which is good, good times at Grange to be fair. But yeah, um, so that's probably that's how I got into hockey really. I, I, I do remember seeing you in your in your time at, at Grange Hockey Club. Who are for the non hockey nerd types who are listening to this podcast, one of the top clubs in in Scotland. I remember seeing a very little, little article right at the end of, uh, of the sports papers in, uh, I think, the Evening News, Edinburgh Evening News or something, of Sean Hadfield does heroics in the uh, in the in the Grange goal in the European Hockey League or something like this, or something along these lines. But at the time for hockey, that's that was that was a huge article. It was very little mainstream media coverage, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, not sure quite heroics in the in the EHL, but. Um the second time round, maybe maybe not the first time. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Um, to get any kind of coverage, media or whatever it may be, uh, back. I mean, ho- hockey's obviously got a lot, got a lot better now. I mean, you look at you know a lot of the games are getting uh, broadcast on BT Sport, or um, I think the the latest Europeans. A lot of the games were on BBC. You know. Red button, um, but yeah, but back when we kind of first started playing, to get any kind of recognition was was really good, um, and yeah, probably only only rightly because playing at the EHL is is actually quite a big deal, and I think probably myself included the first time I played at the EHL, I kind of took it for granted a little bit, and was like, right, well. You know this. This will happen every kind of season and stuff like that. But you actually you appreciate it much more once it's happened. Um, and like I said, I'm I'm really glad um, we were able to go back and play uh, a second time because then you could you could properly appreciate it more. Cause I think the first time we played at the HL was my first season at Grange, um, and yeah, we got we got absolutely hammered in the two games that we played. But we're playing we're playing some some pretty out of this world opposition we played Rotterdam and, and Berliner who were I think Dutch and uh, German champions at the time and just playing some unbelievable players but um, yeah the, the second time we played at EHL was was brilliant I think we'd um, we'd beaten we'd beaten Calvert on um, on penalties in the uh, national playoffs I, I can't remember exactly what it was called but um, this is, yeah we, it, we qualified as first first place so then we got this first seed in so then we were the top team to go to to the EHL and I think that time we, we were able to appreciate it more because we'd, we'd kind of worked towards getting there um, and yeah we played Harvest Hooder it was at it was at Harvest Hooder so they'd won the EHL maybe two years two years before that so again coming up against Tobias Hauk and stuff like that who was just unbelievable um, and yeah we, we did really well I mean we got beat off then but we I think we drew with, with I can't remember the, the team HC Veen or something like that we drew with them so 
to not to not get beaten in both games of the EHL is quite it's quite a good achievement actually, considering how how good a tournament it really is. I mean, what were the lessons learned? I mean, evidently you've learned something from that first season that you took into the second. And what do you know now that you didn't know then? That's a really good question because the, sec- the second time was still a long time ago. But um, that's a really good question. What did we learn? Um, for, for me personally, like I said, I, it was it was kind of um, not just taking taking it for granted and expecting it to expecting it to just be okay like I think the second time coming round it was like right we're actually playing against a team that have been you know kind of crowned the best team in Europe you know I think it was the year or the year before that and it was like right these guys are as close to professional athletes as they are going to get and I think in fairness a lot of them make a living from playing hockey and you know a lot of our team at Grange you know well, I mean, none of us were professional athletes. We all worked regular jobs and we played hockey as, you know, a hobby and for a bit of fun. So I think it was realising how good these players are and that we need to just be... We're not, we're not going to be able to take them on individually. We're not going to be... You know, we're not going to be able to match them up one for one because they would just rip us apart. So I remember our coach coming up with you know the system that we kind of played we played effectively zonal over the entire pitch um, and I mean we still we still got beat but I think we would have got beat a lot a lot more had we not you know trusted in that kind of system that he'd he'd put in place um, and we, we worked really hard for it as well I remember once we had um, once we had qualified and we knew we were um, going to the HL because the HL was quite early on in the season. I think you go you go to the HL in October for the first round. Um, we we knew we couldn't afford to just kind of have a regular pre-season and start the start the domestic season in September and then we'd go to the HL and it'd be okay. We knew we had to work really hard, you know, through the summer. You know, end of July, August, all of September before we were ready to go and uh, and play the top level of club hockey in, in October. So I, I'd, I'd probably say that was that was how we'd learn from that first experience. Because, like I said, that was that was a pretty tough experience to learn from. To be fair, I mean, I think I think I think the the EHL is is unique in terms of um some some other. Uh, some other continental competitions that it has this strange mix of full time at least at international level full time athletes yeah. playing at, um, against uh, uh, professional teams playing against um, amateur teams sometimes full time professional athletes playing in the same team with um, amateur athletes especially especially with the, some of the English teams I think um it's it's the thing is how do you find that as a player I think I think you've yeah pretty much hit the nail on the head there really um, yeah I, I think that's probably that's probably why um, at the early rounds you probably get the contrast in scores that you do and I mean it, it is what it is at the end of the day you know you can have you know some 
Dutch champions playing against you know a, a team that you know have got guys that work nine till five and play hockey twice a week. Do you know, obviously it's it's chalk and cheese when you you compare them, isn't it? So that's why it's you're going to have those scores, and I think when it kind of um, gets down to the to the kind of last sixteen and the final eight and stuff, you've got you've got the best teams in Europe playing against the other best teams in Europe. You know, but to to share a pitch with some of these teams and some of these players and for the games to be broadcast to how many thousands of people is is, an, is a great experience, and I don't think I don't think they should get away from that. You know, I think as much as yeah, it's going to be tough, and it's going to be one team pretty much attacking, and one team pretty much looking to defend and and counter attack. Um, I don't think they should they should take that away. I think you know, for me, that's even though we like I've said we we got beat at the first DHL and. We got beat by Harvester and we drew with um, the Austrian team HCV. We it was still a, a huge and great, absolutely great experience to have. So yeah, you've just got to kind of roll with the punches, I guess, and and take the take on the the best in the world. That's what you're there to do. It is a, it is a great experience. So so there it seems to be a. Um a discussion going on in hockey. Um, the, the, the 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 governing bodies, the the a lot like the FIH, for example, they they're very keen to promote international hockey. Um, so investing a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of their resources into into the pro league, which is a the international tournament of the sort of the, the eight or nine best, um, the, the eight or nine very very good international teams. Um, do you think that more that their their resources should be perhaps be um, moved towards the continental domestic game? Um, I mean that's a that's a pretty difficult question. It's a chicken and egg thing, I suppose, yeah. isn't it? Um, it's difficult. I mean, I think the the argument. I think from a couple of people from seeing stuff online would be if the, these international tournaments happen during the domestic club season, then the standard of you know English and Scottish hockey is going to drop. You know, so if the likes of all the GB players, for example, go and play for GB during. A domestic season, the the players that, or the sorry, the teams that those players play for, are then going to be at a disadvantage because the players aren't playing for the club, and that then um, kind of dilutes how good the the club season and the club tournament ends up being. So I think that would be the only the only argument. I think on the plus side of you know, the Pro League or the plus side of these international tournaments is, you know, you've got the scope for the, these games to get broadcast more, you've got potentially audiences that will come, especially if the games are maybe at home. Um, especially if they, if they have the games, you know, at the weekend, you know, and they, they have the games on 
you know, a, a Saturday afternoon, you know, you're going to get you're going to get big crowds there to go and watch, you know, GB play New Zealand or Australia or whoever it may be. So, I think in that respect, it's probably a good a good thing for hockey. But you, it is it is difficult because it does dilute the domestic season. If if we if rather than making the pro leagues the international tournaments the headline one, would, would we? Do you think we would get similar crowds if we made EHL the big thing, or the or the American equivalent, or the you know the big thing? Do you think we would get similar crowds to that at at club level? Yeah, I mean, I think I think every single EHL, as far as I can remember, every single EHL um, host has been. Holland, to be honest, I think every kind of, and I mean that's probably because it is because um, the the Dutch teams are always kicking about the, the kind of final four, but it's either it always seems to be either somewhere in the Netherlands or Barcelona actually sometimes gets held in Spain um, or um, or Germany, so it's, it's it's between those three places really for where the EHL is held. It, I would love to see the EHL held, um, yeah, in in the UK. That, I think that would be that would be absolutely brilliant, and I think that would then maybe get people to appreciate how how big a tournament it is. Cause, you know, it is it's the pinnacle of um, pinnacle of club of club hockey. So if they brought the EHL to the UK, I think you would get hopefully you would get um, big crowds, especially if it was the kind of the kind of final, final weekends of it that would be huge, but I'm not sure if that was happening. Yeah, I, mean, I was in a, in, a, in our previous series. I was, I was chatting to um, Scott Madden, who is the regional development manager for Scottish hockey in in Tayside and Fife, which is basically basically Dundee. And uh, I, was chat, I was asking asking him about um, the use of these temporary pitches, like the did at Harlequins at the Stoop for the international yeah. stuff. If they yeah. brought up something similar similar to that and based it in uh, Dundee United's fo- fo- football stadium or something like this, yeah. how do you think about this? And he was saying, love it because that, that would tie into my job perfectly. I can then promote something. I can then go into the schools and promote something. That, that would be, yeah, I mean, that would be huge. That would be the... Yeah, I mean, again, that would kind of be the pinnacle, wouldn't it? If you could get hockey into some sort of football stadium, um, yeah, whether it would be somewhere in Edinburgh, somewhere in Glasgow, somewhere in Dundee, for Scotland, equally if you were to get it down in England, I mean, I think you'd, you'd, you'd potentially struggle to sell out somewhere like Old Trafford, but, um, you know, uh, yeah, if you were to get it in some in some sort of football stadium, that would be that would be huge. Similar to what they did um, with GB when they converted the rugby pitch, that was that was massive. That was a, I think it was a huge crowd, tens of thousands of people were there, which was just amazing. Do you do you think um, a Scotland or GB international match, or even um, a good um, domestic match, club match, do you think that could sell out? Say. Um, Easter Road or something like this. Um, I, unfortunately, I don't. I, I don't think it would for domestic. I, it's just it's not. 
just not quite there yet. I mean, I think, yeah, you know, Glasgow Green is it, really good and it'll get a kind of full grand, it'll get a full grandstand there when, you know, played it, I've been lucky enough to play, you know, Scottish Cup finals and stuff like that and we've got, you know, that, that's been big crowds there um, and I think that's really good but get that into a football stadium potentially not. If you were to get, um, yeah, like we're saying, if we were to get GB or something in a football ground, I think you've got a lot more supporters there rather than cause people that are going to support that cup final are going to be supporters of one of those two teams. Whereas if you were to get it to be GB or whatever it may be, playing whoever, um, you know, Netherlands or Germany or Belgium or something, you would have supporters of GB, you know, and that's then the whole the whole of the UK in terms of hockey fans could then go and support it rather than it just being the fans of the two clubs. So yeah, I think you're much more likely to sell to sell out um, and to sell more tickets when it's an international match. So that probably answers your your previous question of why they have the more international emphasis. It's potentially to do with ticket sales and putting on big events, I would, I'd imagine. Right, so in terms of your current career, let's let's swing back to you. This, this is uh, the Sean Hadfield interview. Um, uh, who are you playing for right now? Uh, so I'm playing, yeah, current team is Odds Ledge. Um, and yeah, we've um, played the, um, the North North Conference. We got promoted to that two two seasons ago. Uh, that was a really, really good um, kind of league campaign for us. We got promoted in. Um, and yeah, the last last couple of years we've been playing North Conference, which is the first time the club's ever been at that level. So it's been good. It's been a, a challenge um, for the lads, you know, playing at that level. Um, some some really good hockey teams in there. Some really good um, some really good players. So yeah, the last couple, last couple of years have been particularly hard. I've had a couple, myself personally. I've had um, a couple of injuries here and there, which have put me out of playing for kind of extended periods and stuff which hasn't been hasn't been great but um, yeah obviously the season's been cut short this this year with I think one we had one game left to play um, and obviously everything with coronavirus has kind of put a halt to everything um, so kind of waiting to find out from England hockey what what that means and what the implications are for teams getting relegated teams getting promoted and stuff so um, how close how close was the title in the relegation battles was it, was it, was it, was it, was it within one game or yeah so the way the, way the uh, system works at the moment I'm, I'm, I mean I'm trying to explain it I don't know if I've, I quite understand it myself basically there's the three so the three conferences north east and west um, the three, I think it's the three bottom teams get relegated. So the three teams in tenth place get relegated, and then I think two of the teams that are in ninth with the lowest points get relegated as well. And then the team with the highest amount of points in ninth across the three leagues stays up. So yeah, I think there's a lot of. Um, implications as to what happens, I think, between all of those three leagues, North, East and West Conferences, I think, 
it's really tight between ninth and tenth between all all of those six teams, if you like. So I really don't know what England hockey are meant to be doing um, or are going to do because, like I said, it's a tough decision for them to make whether they relegate teams when they've got games still to play because you could argue that you know you could get three points and you could stay up or equally you're then going to disappoint teams that from the lower leagues trying to get promoted and they're in pole position to get promoted how do you then tell them they're not promoted so yeah I I think it's a difficult decision to be made but um, yeah I don't envy don't envy them in the slightest yeah it's it's, it's one of a lot of questions which no one really has the answer to yet do they so um, so in terms of your training regime, um, so how how do you train normally um, pre coronavirus as a as a goalkeeper as a uh, as a serious uh, hockey keeper and h- how are you adapting to that with the uh, current current rules and regulations? Um, yes, yeah, so I mean I think my, my my training um, regime is gone. Has gone, has gone um, slightly down with obviously um, taking a step back from international international stuff. Um, obviously, we'd be trading a lot more, um, you know, a few years ago. But now um, I would train probably twice a week on the pitch, um, Tuesday, Thursdays, and then we'd play in England. We play we play on a Sunday, so the games would be on Sunday afternoon. Um, on top of that, I'd like to try and get to the gym. You know, maybe twice a week. Um, do quite in terms of goalkeeping stuff. Um, it's quite a lot to do with your core. So if you can get um, kind of strong core, you're able to get into um, quite unnatural positions, as you probably know. So you know, dive down, and then it's not just being able to dive down; it's being able to then get back up to your feet quickly. Um, go out and smother the ball, and then again react and make make a second or potentially a third save. So, yeah, um, the main two things for goalkeeping is probably your kind of core um, stability and then flexibility would be the other one. Uh, the main main couple of two things. So this is possibly why I never made it, Sean. Is it even when you were fi- at 15, 16 years old, you were still se- senior keeper to me at, at Waverley. Uh, my, my, my core is more of an obstacle than, a, than a, an asset. <laughs> sort of gets in the way of my, of my, of my, of my agility somewhat. Yeah. Oh, it'd be good though, because it can also get in the way of the ball. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, it's, 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 it, I think it's more to do with the um, post-match carbohydrate intake. That's, that's always good that you got to fuel up after the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuel up, that's what I always tell myself. Anyway, you fuel up. So. <laughs> I, 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 I did read an, uh, an article, I think it was in the Metro, so not a proper sports science article, but apparently um, some undergraduate sports science students were, were trying to get us to uh, believe that having half a pint to a pint after a match was good for you. <laughs> it was um, uh, the body can the the, the body can um, can take basically if you eat granite after a, a you know a serious bit of uh, exercise your body can take the, the the carbohydrate out of that and use it the same but I mean, what it found was after um, 
after uh, a pint at most, the, the negative effects have greater influence over the body than, than it would do otherwise. I would love to believe that, and I would like to be able to justify that after a, after a game that I can sit there and drink a pint and say it's good for me, but I just cannot see that being, <laughs> being true in the slightest, unfortunately. I'd love that to be true. I, mean, I, I, I did read it in the Metro, so I'm not sure how much right. of a scientific scrutiny it had it, um, it come under at this point, but, um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that, that's that's my theory, anyway. That's possibly why I never played for Scotland. Um, Derek Forsyth, if you're listening, ring me. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, in in terms of your in terms of hockey inspiration, um, uh, in terms of hockey inspiration, who 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 do. Who, who were you looking up to when you were younger? I mean, who who do you look up to now? Um, again, quite a difficult question. Put me on the spot here. Um, hockey inspiration. Unfortunately, when um, I was younger and when I first kind of got into hockey, like I said, um, kind of come from just you know watching football, growing up playing football and stuff, um, and never really knew about hockey at all. Um, and then when when I f- first got into it and stuff, um, unfortunately, I don't think hockey really had the the kind of coverage or the scope that it's got, you know, today. Um, you know, that must have been when I was yeah about fourteen or fifteen. So yeah, um, thirteen thirteen years ago or so. So the they just they just never really seemed to be. You know, hockey, hockey on the TV really. Um, there was never, there was never on BBC Sport or you know, like we were saying um, yourself when you read you read that article that it's only a really small kind of snippet of what of what's in it, and and that's the, that was the pinnacle you were talking about. That was the a report from the EHL, you know, and that's effectively the way I would always tell people. I would always say it, but it's a, a, I mean, it is the, the equivalent of you know. Kind of Champions League um, in football, you know that's effectively what the EHL is um, in terms of hockey. So, unfortunately, there was never really that scope. So when I was a youngster, kind of growing up, I never really had anyone to aspire to. I know that's quite a, a poor answer, I'm afraid. But um, yeah, I didn't really have um, uh, someone to kind of strive towards and. Um, look up to. I, the, the main thing for me when I was growing up was it was always just to kind of play to the the highest level I possibly could. Um, and when I was when I was younger, you know, got kind of chucked into hockey, um, and luckily kind of landed on my feet. And it was you know got from being I think fourteen, fifteen straight into. Scotland under 16 within, I don't want to kind of blow my own trumpet, but I think it was within, you know, a year, potentially 18 months of me playing. Um, I was fortunate enough to get into kind of east of Scotland and then um, into the Scotland training squad and stuff like that and then pick up first under under 16 cap for Scotland. So it was kind of like almost... Um, 
complete whirlwind. It was just, it was so fast. I remember not really knowing a great deal about hockey, and I was sitting in a Scotland under sixteen um, team meeting for a briefing before one of my first games for Scotland, and I was like, I still don't know a lot of the rules. Um, <laughs> probably shouldn't should admit that, but I just, I, I just remember it being so fast. Um, yeah, it just happened so quickly that I didn't really have time to um, sit and have, um, you know, kind of have a have a hockey idol because it was it was just so quick for me. But yeah, so kind of long winded answer for your for your question there, I'm afraid. Oh, that's all right. Um, in terms of um, people that you've, you've come up against and played with, come across in your in your career, I mean, who are the three best players that you've played with? Um, three best three best players that I've played did you say with sorry yeah with um, I don't know if that's a good question I have I've been fortunate to play with um, a lot, like a lot of good a lot of good players um, in, in my hockey career I would say uh, yeah uh, Alan Alan Forsyth is just unbelievable um, yeah it, it just any any half chance, not even half chance, I had to give him a sniff in, in the D and it was a goal. Um, and he was like that in training, so just, uh, he, was, he was horrible to train against. He was, he just, you'd, you'd finish a shooting drill with him and your feet would be sore through the pads. Um, he just hit the ball so hard. Um, and he, he, he would always... He would always score big games, um, and it, it was all it was all the way through under sixteens, under eighteens, under twenty ones, um, and obviously still doing it with um, seniors and still doing it for for Surbiton. But his um, goals to games ratio must be—I mean, I don't know it, but um, it must it must be up there. He, he he's guaranteed a goal a game at least. Um, I think he's the top top goal scorer in the. In the Premier Premier League in England for what I think maybe three or four seasons or something. Um, oh, he's just he's just unbelievable. He's just ruthless in the circle. Just loves a goal, loves a goal. Um, so yeah, he's he's definitely up there. Um, the the C the CEO of Scottish Hockey says that he's world class. He, he is world class. Um, he, he's brilliant. He's yeah. He, he's, I think he's Scotland Scotland Player of the Year probably been Scotland player of the year for a couple of years but um, yeah I mean obviously with um, the Olympics getting postponed to 2021 yeah I mean if he's not a shoe for GB then I don't know what but yeah he, he's just he's brilliant and I think he's, he's probably not just the best um, forward that Scotland have got I, I, I would say he's probably the best forward that GB have got as well I think he, he's taken his goal scoring record for Scotland and he, he takes that into GB as well and he scores as many goals if not more for GB than he has for Scotland so yeah he's, he is just he's just different class so yeah Aldo would definitely be up there um, another one um, kind of rogue shout here um, but I would um, Mike Leonard um, I don't know if you know Leno but he oh, what a player um, I never played with Leno in his prime um, when he was at Grange um, and 
then obviously played. I think he, I think he was a, he was actually one of the most capped capped players for for Scotland um, back in his heyday. But um, yeah, basically, can try to keep this story short. But he um, he retired from from Grange for a few years. I think maybe three or four years. Been retired. He kind of just again getting old. Um, and yeah, basically we were one season we were really struggling really struggling for a centre back um, I think we'd had a couple of injuries um, and we just needed someone to come in and just kind of be solid at the back and our coach Colin Clark had um, yeah, come up with this idea that we should should um, dig up uh, Mike Leonard um, and uh, it was just brilliant so having him just in front of me just it was almost like a kind of second coach on the team um, and would have a voice that he would just command the entire team. So it made my job easy in goals. Um, didn't have to do as much shouting because I had him in front of me. Um, and also just just class, just such a good tackler. Like, never seen him miss a tackle. Every time he would go in, just be a flat stick, old school. Um, and he, would just pick, he just picked everything. He was brilliant. Um and yeah, we we actually we won the won the Scottish Cup the year he came back and played. Um, and it was, it wasn't just the way he played; it was what he did in training as well. Just kind of demanded demanded standards in training. Um, and yeah, I think he really he really picked us up um, when he came back and played, and he really sorted out that kind of gap we had in our in our defence for that part of the season. He was he was brilliant. So. I'd, I chuck in, I chuck in Leno is one of the one of the best players that I've I've played with as well. Um, and then another player, you say three. Mm. I can't I'm not going to say this. Um, his head's already too big, but um, yeah, uh, Cammy Fraser, just yeah, uh, Grange captain for the years that I played for Grange. Um, in the years I played for Cala when we played Grange in, in National League I remember you, just, you hated to play against him just he was you know chatty on the pitch he'd wipe people up but oh, he, great player absolute great player and then when I moved to Grange and played for him he's one of those players that you hate to play against him but then you love to play with him um, he was brilliant uh, just kind of centre midfield would just dominate games for Grange and you know, he's, he's done it for his entire entire career being captain for Grange just kind of leads by example um, would occasionally get a bit too um, get a bit too invested in it and would get himself talk himself into a yellow or potentially a red card now and then um, but again just he just cared probably more than more than anyone else um, and he had the most ridiculous slap you'll ever see no, couldn't, couldn't hit a ball to save his life um, but didn't need to because his slap was just unreal. Like teams would know it was coming. We'd do this corner. We'd do this slip left, and he would slap it at a corner. And teams would teams knew it was going to come, and they still couldn't defend against it. It was just yeah, his, his slap was was next level. So um, yeah, and again, just his attitude and everything he brought as a kind of captain and stuff. Yeah, he was. I would say Cam is one of the best. Best players I've had um, luxury of playing with, so yeah, 
they'd be my, my top three. It's not, bad, it's not bad top three, right? Not actually. bad. It's a few internationals in there. It's uh, yeah. Um, three best players that you've played against. Oof, um, tough one. Um, as in, like all time, so yeah. kind of EHL and stuff included. Everything. Everything. Um, you, you, you can include me as well, you know. It's. Uh, I can chuck you in there. Uh, but you know me, number four. I'd have to use number four. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Hauke, 
Hey, yeah. Three H's. Yeah, yeah they're class. Yeah, something. Still, watch their pro league. I mean, even. I mean, what you know, watch the pro league stuff. It's what they're doing there is, uh, is quite entertaining for a fan. Perhaps uh, if you're watching from the goal line, it's a bit more intimidating. Yeah, I mean, at the time, at the time, as as you know, as difficult as it is to try and stop them, it's when you um, you look back at it and you go, you know, that was. It, it's almost like a, a kind of privilege to to share the pitch with them. Some of the things that those guys have gone and done, you know. Whether it's you know winning the Olympics with Germany or um, World Cups and stuff like that, um, and yeah, they are the, some of the, the best players in the world. I'm not sure if you know Hauke or Hertzberger ever got you know the FIH Player of the Year. Um, I, I presume they probably did, but you know to play against them, and I think that's kind of going back to an earlier point of the HL, and it is it. It is a great tournament, and it's a great um, chance to play against you know these players for you know people that do have those normal jobs and can aspire to be at that top level to to play against these players and test yourselves again against the best in the world is you know a great experience. So yeah, um, yeah, good, good or not so good times, whichever way you want to look at it. Who who is the best keeper in the world at the minute? Um, um, I mean, you look at David Hart's always, always there, isn't he? Um, boy for Belgium at the moment, uh, Van Ash as well is is class. Um, I'd say I'd say it's between probably those two. I'm I'm hoping I'm not missing any top goalkeepers out, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd, for me, I'd probably say, I mean, Belgium are just up and coming, aren't they? They're, yeah, I mean, they're going to be kind of powerhouse in the next couple of years. You, you've got to presume um, you'd, you'd be back in Belgium for um, the Olympics in 2021. Obviously, they came second last time, but um, yeah, Van, Van Ash is just, it's just class, I would say. What, what makes a good keeper in hockey? Um, 
you've got to make that decision straight away whether you go out and close the ball or whether you stay back on your line I think against the confidence to do that straight away um, that's probably a big thing and then again I would say the confidence to to command um, the team in front of you you're, you're effectively a second a second pair of eyes in terms of your coach at the back so you can see the game similar to you know against sweeper or centre back that they can they can view the game as well and see see what's going on but as a goalkeeper you can see even better than that so you've kind of got to be able and confident enough to be able to say what you've seen at half time whether it's to your coach you say right I've seen this that we could go and exploit that or whatever it may be but equally to speak to your defenders and tell them you know who to mark or how to go and press or however it may be but you've got to have the confidence to go and do that so yeah a couple, couple of things in there I don't, I don't think it's as easy as just kind of stand stand there and get hit by the ball I think there's a lot a lot to it um, and a lot more kind of mental side of things than, than just the physical side of things as well What what makes hockey as a sport special? What's it apart from other other activities? The Rolling Subs thing has made, I think, a difference to the, the mentality of, of short-term bursts rather than pacing yourself throughout a game. Yeah, oh, massively. I think that's, I think, I, I think that's 
probably why hockey can then get played at the level it is for that 70 minutes, you know, because if you didn't have their own subs, there's no way players and teams could put in that amount of work because they would just be, they'd be gassed after the first five minutes. So, What do you think of the... Um of of the format of the games at the at the elite level, the fifteen minute quarters and sixteen minute matches. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm never I'm never a big fan of um, shortening the game because I think um, yeah, similar to what I was just saying about football fans, they don't want to see things getting changed. But um, I, I understand it. I understand you know obviously the time getting stopped at. Um, penalty corners and stuff like that so it probably makes sense because by the time you've got all your um, penalty corner stuff on that would run down the clock anyway so it probably balances itself out um, in terms of quarters I think it's probably quite good for you know for players that you know maybe play you know centre half um, they, can, they can probably get through a game so the likes of what we were talking about earlier you know it would have been would have been ideal for, for someone like Mike Leonard. Um, you know, he would have he would have done fifteen minutes, got a quick break, done another fifteen minutes, and then got a decent half time. So for people that are playing, you know, at centre back or you know even centre mid, that you know they, they just need to get that fifty. I, I say just need to because as a goalkeeper, it's quite easy to stand there for seventy minutes or sixty minutes, whatever it may be. But you know they can get that 15 minute spell done and then they can get a break and then they can go again so it's probably better to keep in terms of being able to keep your best a living on the pitch it's probably ideal for coaches I would say right, Sean thank you very much no problem at all mate uh, thanks for having me on appreciate it appreciate it appreciate the time This has been a Half Court Press production by Teo McLeod.